Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is supported this week by Texas Tech Physicians Pediatrics, which provides expert-driven care starting at birth all the way to adolescence to help kids grow happy and healthy. And because the doctors at Texas Tech Physicians are also leading educators and researchers, children across the panhandle have access to accomplished pediatric specialists right here in Amarillo. In fact, there are 11 different specialties from cardiology and neurology to oncology and neonatology. You can get the care your child needs and you can get it close to home. Learn more by visiting texastechphysicians.com. Today's guest is John Gamble. Now, one of the things you may have heard me discuss with guests are the fact that tech workers have been moving to Amarillo or moving back to Amarillo due to the rise of location flexibility and the acceptability of remote work. Well, John is one of those tech workers. He's the senior principal cloud architect at Zillow, the real estate website that's headquartered in Seattle. Now, John is from here, but he used to live in Seattle. And today he's still doing the exact same job, but from Amarillo, where he and his family are enjoying a better quality of life, a simpler commute, and a lot of other conveniences, which we talk about in this episode. So I wanted to hear how that happened, how a kid from Amarillo ended up in such an influential position for a major tech company, and why he came back. So here's John Gamble. John Gamble, welcome to the Hamarillo Podcast. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks, thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm excited to talk to you, and I want to start with you the same way I start with all my guests, and that's mm-hmm. just to ask why you're here in Amarillo. So, how did you end up in this area? That's a that's a good question. And I, I recently moved back to this area. Uh, I was in Seattle for about the last eleven years. The pandemic and everything allowed me to uh, work remotely, so uh, I moved myself and my family back uh, to be a little bit closer to my parents. It was tough to get up to Seattle. It was tough to get back to Amarillo during that time. And uh, I thought, well, maybe since I can work remotely, maybe I should just go ahead and and, uh, and return to Amarillo a little bit uh, to spend that time, let them get to know their grandkid and everything. So, But I grew up here. Uh, I went to Amarillo High and WT um, and then uh, left right after that. The opportunities in Amarillo at that time um, in, the, in the late 90s were not you know, quite available to someone in the IT world. And then uh, there was no, no such thing as remote work back then. Yeah. So yeah, um, it made sense. It made sense to go chase the, uh, the, the big dreams and stuff. And I uh, kind of moved all over Texas and then uh, eventually out to Seattle. Tell me about, you know, going to WT uh, as someone who is interested in computers, interested in IT. The program at WT, was it, was it enough for you back then? I mean, I know it's changed a lot in the, it's, the, 20, 30 years since, was, since you've probably been there. It was really, it really existed. I was, one of the things that's impressed me about WT and, and of course, Emerald College is that they are um, up to date with the, with the, with the Times technology. And yeah, they had a computer lab and uh, a PhD led the program and she was really good. We learned programming and, and the technology that, that was relevant at the time. The, uh, the thing about IT and, and colleges is IT tends to develop uh, way faster than a college program can. Yeah. So I think the the ground skills that you learn are relevant, but I think like the technologies perhaps uh, were shifting underneath uh, quite rapidly. Yeah, it's it's one of those interesting careers. You you learn something you know during four years in university, and it's outdated the minute you graduate, and you've got to learn different. a new language or new systems. It's always evolving. It's true, and then um, yeah, 
And then the abstractions have grown since then, right? When I was in college, we were learning something that was closer to kind of object-oriented programming was kind of new. You were closer to machine code, less human-readable. And now we've extracted things uh, completely away from that, um, both from the hardware side and the uh, and the software side of things. So it's very interesting. Now, cloud is a thing, and that's probably about the most abstracted you can think of about a computer is, is you're renting a virtual machine yeah. that somebody else manages, that somebody else puts software on for you, and all you're managing is the data on top of that. Quite a long way from when I was in high school. And that's only been, college. what, last 10 or 12 years? It really it really has taken off in the last, in the last 10 years, I would say. Um, it was a thing before then, but, but not really. Quite a shift to uh, cloud computing in that time. I'd say um, companies being very skeptical about cloud to companies being pretty much all in and data transforming uh, their current environments from on-premise uh, to cloud. They're finding it. Um, it allows for some agility that they never uh, could have had. And then it allows for them to focus on their their core product versus having to maintain uh, a bunch of infrastructure that may not be in their warehouse. Uh, it may be that they make an app or, or a service and they don't necessarily... Uh, want to manage you know physical servers and mm-hmm. network connectivity and all those sort of things were you were you one of those kids who was really good at computers and technology like in high school I mean was that your introduction to it or before that before that really um yeah uh, my dad got me a, a ti uh, 994a when I was a kid it was a little ancient computer I used a little cartridge drive and everything yeah it had like 64k of memory I think that got me into it and I was programming uh, basic at that time I was probably like 10. Um, so yeah, I've been, I've been deep into this world for a while in school. I used to, uh, in high school, I used to skip my science class and go off to the library and, uh, they had two computers that were connected, uh, to the internet, but you know, nobody knew how to use them. So it was kind of, they were always open, (laughs) something to do. And that, I mean, those were what really early days of the internet, like early nineties or so. Yeah. That was like 95. Yeah. Um, AOL discs and. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, and the, the browsers at school were actually text-based. It was like links, which is kind of interesting. Navigating with a, a text-only browser, not getting any hmm. images or, you know, kind of like different. the early days of Yahoo. Yeah, yeah, uh, very much a, a different world than HTTP is like back in the days when it was go for clients and stuff like that. So, so when you graduated from WT. Uh, I didn't actually. Oh, did you? Okay. I went there for two years and then uh, I went off to go get a, a tech job. I still have yet to graduate. Okay. So, I'm so, close, though. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to ask about that because, you know, one of the things that you often find because people who are, are learning, you know, programming or technology often surpass what you can learn in yeah, school just true. because of the way that that works, that there's a lot of people who have found success and, and never finished. I, I had a certain uh, pace that I really enjoyed learning at. And the college was not able to provide that. In fact, I had I had terrible grades in college, I think, because it didn't capture my attention uh, well enough. Uh, and that, that's my own fault. I'm not blaming the college. I just, uh, I needed a different environment to learn in. I think I found that out pretty early, thankfully. I think I was 20. And I, I went off and, and um, found a job, a technical job, that the only thing you had to do was pass like a technical test to get. Uh, and I aced it uh, with my friend, uh, Joel. Uh, we both went together from Amarillo. And, and then we moved to Dallas and started uh, in the tech support world, um, I was helping people that, that had cable modems. Cable modems were pretty new back then. Mm-hmm. Um, supporting Roadrunner, I think it was called, and uh, and the Microsoft Network. 
guys are around anymore, but <laughs> but that's that's kind of how that's kind of how it started, right? Is like the the college moved to a certain pace, but actually being in the world and helping people with their actual technical problems is kind of a fire hose in comparison. Um, and then my career direct trajectory has kind of demanded that uh, sort of be the case. And, and speaking of of your trajectory, I, I know you've worked in a lot of different positions, you've done a lot of different things. And, and obviously that work has, has changed as a technology has changed. So I don't, I don't want a full resume from you. Cause I imagine that that's probably sure, a lot, sure. but like, tell me some of the things that uh, you've done, some of the companies you've worked for. Sure. I think, I think the last like decade or so is probably the most relevant. Um, and really my cloud journey started at Rackspace in San Antonio. Uh, I worked there for a couple of years uh, supporting their Rack Connect and their European customers. And, and what that was was kind of the first hybrid cloud. You had on-premise uh, databases uh, connected to virtual machines uh, for your front end and middle tiers. And, and that was kind of my introduction. And, and then one day uh, on LinkedIn, Amazon you know, reached out to me and said, hey, would you like to come interview in Seattle? And it was just based on your yeah, skill set yeah, that was on LinkedIn? I, mean, I just they updated found LinkedIn uh, to include Rackspace. And they were real interested in that, in that culture. And people from that uh, company, so they they said, "We'll fly you out, and you can do an interview loop." I thought, "All right, great." Uh, a free trip to Seattle I'd never been, and uh, I got to tour the city and take the space needle all the way to the top and um, see all that stuff. But one of the things that surprised me is they offered me a job. So <laughs> I was <laughs> like, "Wow, okay." And uh, I had just bought a house in San Antonio, and I had no intention of of leaving, but I sure did. I uh, I put that up for rent and and moved out um, to Seattle to spend like the next uh, eleven years uh, in the in the IT world and in the cloud world. Uh, so I worked for Amazon Web Services, and they are kind of one of the big cloud providers. Um, so if you're you're out there, you're you've got basically three in the U.S. Google Cloud, Azure, which is the Microsoft product, and then AWS, which is the Amazon uh, cloud. So I worked there for three years um, in their support side of things, helping customers onboard and kind of use cloud. And it was really early days. Um, new services were coming on all the time. When a new service came on in Amazon, you had to kind of like learn it to an incredible depth, incredibly quickly mm -hmm. before like documentation was published or, or it was, it was going to launch and you were going to have to help people with it. Right. Um, and when you say you're helping customers, it's not like individual customers. It's like, you know, giant businesses who are, yeah. Giant businesses like Samsung would call me or we did the uh, Obama campaign and they would have to like scale to thousands and thousands of servers um, in, a, in a short period of time. Or we did the Oscars or, you know, things like that, supporting giant corporations doing things at, at, at scale that I had never seen before. It was pretty wild. And I, I was supporting Vodafone, which is a pretty big corporation back in uh, Rackspace. And this was this was massive by comparison. So I worked there for a while, and the, the thing about uh, Amazon, when you work at Amazon, you're a little bit abstracted from their tools and from using cloud. You're helping multiple customers. And I wanted to kind of uh, get into a position where I could help one customer um, and, and go really deep into that. And that's, uh, that's how I transitioned to cloud architecture. Uh, there was a position open at King County, which is uh, Seattle's county. Okay. It's, uh, Seattle and the surrounding areas, it's, it's, it's a pretty big county. They had, they had quite a big tech budget. Uh, tech budget was like 60, 60 million or so a year. And they were going to move some of their stuff into cloud. 
So I, I started a, uh, I applied for a cloud architecture role there and got that and helped them for uh, two years on their cloud journey. They work on a biennium and uh, they suffered kind of the same thing that my college suffered. And that was that there was a lot of work to do, but there wasn't a whole lot of pace involved um, due to the fact that the, every two years the budget was voted on mm-hmm. and then it could change directions and all that kind of stuff as, as political leanings do. Um, and government work is, is always slow it is. And, and kind of plotting. Yeah. And, and I, I really enjoyed the job and I, my time there, but I just was not uh, engaged enough. I, I went off and got a, another cloud architecture job at a company called REI. And REI is kind of an outdoor uh, gear manufacturer and a co-op. Yeah. And they're like one of the largest co-ops in Headquartered the Headquartered there in Seattle, right? They, they are. And yeah. uh, actually in a little town, well, it was, they sold their place. I can't remember the name, Renton maybe? Yeah, a little town of Renton. Very interesting. A really great place to work. And they were just starting on their cloud transformation. They had just finished a data center that had cost millions. And their uh, enterprise architecture team said, okay, we know we've just finished this, but now we want to move to cloud. And, and that caused some interesting upheaval in that company um, on the IT side of things. So they, they brought me in to kind of help with that transition. And we moved some of the first workloads to cloud and uh, for, for kind of the merchandising side of things, merchandise, machine learning, kind of like figure out where inventory should be at any particular time. And that was really neat. And then they kind of put that cloud project on hold. We were going to move the front end of the, of REI. Uh, and I don't, I don't know how that project's gone. I, I hope, I hope they're still doing well, but they, they put that on hold. And I kind of didn't have anything to do. Hmm. So uh, I looked at around for another cloud architecture job. And, and in IT, you're going to find that sometimes you're going to have to move jobs to get uh, promoted or ahead or, or to exactly what the next thing you need to learn is. And that's, that's kind of what I found in my, in my journey. So I found a, a senior principal cloud architecture role at Zillow. And Zillow is kind of an app that you can search for houses you do rentals. Uh, it can help get you mortgages and basically take care of real estate stuff. And I think over the past two to three years, as the real estate world has gone crazy, like everybody has looked at Zillow, right? you know, if, if nothing else than to check the, the value of the house down the street from them, you know, <laughs> their neighbor's house. It's so true. That was a Saturday Night Live skit. It was hilarious. Um, yeah. So I, I started at Zillow and I've been there for about four and a half years now as senior principal cloud architect and uh, manage their AWS environment. Uh, it's pretty big. We've got uh, AWS uh, breaks down their boundaries and in, in accounts. An account is like all the stuff, the, the billing and the, the people and the processes that are running. And we've got over 240 AWS accounts that we manage um, with a pretty small team of about five people. Tell me what that's like having, you know, taking this job that you were doing in Seattle mm-hmm. uh, and, and then turning it remote uh, in order to come back to Amarillo, it's the exact same work because you're at a computer terminal, I imagine, and you're, you're, you're checking on stuff and, and that can happen right outside the, the systems or here in Texas. The, the great thing about the, the job I have is it can be done from anywhere. And, and we knew that at the time, um, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't odd or anything. Everyone was issued laptops at Zillow and you could work from, you could work remotely on occasion, but the, the culture was all always, uh, in person. Uh, before 2019, they they knew, or at least they thought they knew, that most of the best people's work could be done in person and collaboratively. And I think that was the. It wasn't that 
you know, the servers were working on a virtual and located in, you know, Boardman, Oregon or Virginia. They're, they're nowhere near us. And then, you know, they, they knew the, the physical work, but they, they, they wondered if the social work and the, and the ideation and the uh, innovation could be done remotely. I think the, the last few years has really challenged that. And I'd say some of it was successful and some of it hasn't been, uh, to be honest. So a lot of my day is spent on Zoom calls or, or Slack conversations, um, messaging with, uh, with the team that I'm on or, uh, or other teams and executive folks at, at Zillow. And then the rest of my, my day is spent you know, managing and these, these 200 plus accounts that we work on and making sure those things work. Uh, work smoothly, and then managing any incidents that come up. So it's the same work, but it's very different. Um, you you do miss that in office collaboration, but the the things you get back, I think, are also valuable. So like I don't have to commute to work any longer. And uh, how and long was your commute? I in lived Seattle. I lived about ten miles away from the office, and the office was great. It was like a forty four story building. It looked right over the 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 water and the where the cruise ships parked and the little Ferris wheel was mm-hmm. and right down on on Pike Market that was really cool but that was a congested area it took about an hour to get down there uh, from from ten miles and that's it'd be pretty clever so I would I would I get a a ride to the uh, to the light rail station and then take the light rail in and then walk to the rest of the way so that was that's way different than right now it's there's nothing like that here. There may be public transit here, but I've never seen it. There, there are some buses. <laughs> so uh, that's that, completely different. Yeah, you, you see rarely. I'm interested, before we talk really about um, your move to Amarillo, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of discussions, and you mentioned with, you know, collaboration and, you know, employees working in proximity to each other and then working remotely. And, I, yeah. I you know, it, it seems to me that if you're in a creative environment where there's a lot of brainstorming, where there's, you know, a lot of feedback off of each other, like being in the same space is often important. Yes. Is there a similar thing when you're working with a team of say programmers or when, when you're managing, you know, servers, do you need that sort of in-person collaboration or is, is that less of a thing because you're just at a keyboard all day? I, I think you, I think you miss it as a, as a human. I think, I think it's as a, a human who is not in that world yeah, probably. So. Yeah. so I think, I think you do. I think it might suffer a little bit, but at the same time, me, I need I need a lot of like room to think about things, and I do my best communication I think through text through documents. So it's it's good to have that kind of space to to ideate through what I would like to see happen, and then capture those thoughts and then share that document out and then get feedback on it. I think it's not as like exciting and and instantly collaborative, but I think that 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 sort of uh, asynchronous work is is pretty effective okay a lot of it may have to do with the personalities i mean sometimes you have bigger extroverted personalities in it's one true. creative space and people who are drawn to programming may be more introverted and, and need less of that i think so and i think if there's an interesting mix in the in the room you might get you might have some people that have really good ideas uh that, but they have trouble vocalizing them mm-hmm. and there's somebody that uh typically can can run a conversation and and manage that and and they may not get to everybody which is Something that the remote work kind of solves for you, but at the same time, those those folks who who are introvert, um, which there's nothing wrong with that, uh, they they're also not challenged to get out into that social situation. They can they can get fairly comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's 
it's interesting, right? It's it's a dynamic. It's going to be pushed a little bit, I think, but it's also maybe you don't need that every day. When when did you actually move to Amarillo? In July of last year. Okay. So more than a year ago. Just over, yeah. Does it feel to you like like this is still maybe a temporary I'm going to try this out thing or is like this is this the reality for the next few years? I think I think I'm here for the next few years. Um yeah, I think I'm I'm coming to terms with that too. Uh Amarillo is a a vastly different place than when I left. It's grown in many ways and yeah, I look at it with different eyes as well. So it's, yeah, it's just a different place. Tell me what it's like coming from Seattle. I, I think there's a couple of different ways that maybe listeners will think about it. Um, you know, some might think of it as an enormous letdown because you're in a place with all this culture, all this activity, and you're going to a place that is quieter and is smaller. It is. Others might look at that and think, oh, there's a sense of relief. You're getting out of all of this, you know, stimulation to a place where you can maybe breathe a little bit better. Which, which was it for you? I think, I think it's the latter for me. I think, uh, there, there's a lot to do in Seattle, but it, it revolves around a few things, you know, music and food and uh, bars and sports. And if, if those aren't really your forte, there's not, there's not a whole lot outside of that. It's kind of like everywhere else, right? But the varieties of those things were, were rich. Like you had many different sports teams to pick from, many different restaurants and bars, uh, just about any flavor um, you could think of. I, and that was fantastic. And then there was always a certain energy there but it but it's weird it was kind of a cold energy people would always look down at their phones they wouldn't wave to you or engage you and in, in talking or anything but it definitely had a, a certain feel to it which Amarillo is completely different and you can you can pretty much talk to anyone here at any time and that's really kind of nice one, one of the other things that about Seattle that I found really interesting is it just re, it attracted such deep and strong talent I felt like when I was there, I I was in the same city competing with like the world's best cloud architects or the world's best software developers and things like that. And I think remote work has really muddied those waters a little bit. You're not having to go to a big city to be competitive. Mm-hmm. But I think I think at the time being there gave me a a giant edge and and lead versus uh, some of the other places I could have been uh, in this industry. You know, it's kind of where. The, the home base of Amazon and the home base of Microsoft and those giant companies. That's where they, they live and they, they pull their talent to. Um, and then you would engage with people outside of, uh, you know, with outside, outside of your work, uh, but, but had the same job as you. They, we'd have, you know, monthly meetups for cloud architects and mm-hmm. things like that. It's going to be hard to replicate here, um, but with – with programs coming online like Innovation Outpost uh, and their cloud architecture track, I think it's going to be possible, which I find uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I know you're involved with Innovation Outpost. Let's talk about that in a second. Sure, I, I sure. want to hear from you, like one of the larger stories that I've been hearing from a number of different people is about, you know, over the past couple of years, a lot of people in your position have been moving back home to Amarillo to mm-hmm. work remotely. And, you know, maybe it's not thousands and thousands of people, but it has brought sort of an influx of of people in the tech world, you know, who have experience like yours working for a big company. And then they come back here and, you know, the, the cost of living is much less expensive here. The size of a house you can buy in Amarillo is very different from what you can afford in Seattle. And I, I wonder if, if you have seen that. And people other than yourself, and, and if that is a draw for people like that. 
I think so. I think you have to balance like the cost of living with the with the return on that investment. Okay. So if that, maybe that's that's a little practical, but you know, if you think about like what what you get for your dollar, and then and then how far that goes, I think Amarillo is a is a great place to be. The cost of everything was is, is so much different. I, I'll give you an example. I was the week before I moved from Seattle. I filled up uh, one of our cars four and a half dollars a gallon or something. And that was you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, 20, $21 and not, mm-hmm. not nowadays. And I got here and, uh, I think I filled up for like a dollar 90. It's such a different thing, um, than that. And the, over the past few months, people have paid, you know, four plus dollars for gas and felt like it was the end of the world. And that was True. just a reality for you that for was, years, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm pretty, I was pretty used to the, the current gas prices, unfortunately. But, uh, I think, I think back in Seattle, they're, they're well on the $6 range now. So, I think your your dollar goes further here, and then I think the for a family, there's really comparable things here. This would have never happened in Seattle. Is another story. My son got accepted to a private school here as soon as we moved here, and in Seattle, the the waiting list for private schools yeah. are are pre birth, and and we we were on one and we didn't make it. Hmm. So he's in Acton Academy here, uh, and I don't think he would have ever gotten in. There's opportunities here, and, and this is weird to say that weren't open to us in Seattle. So that's kind of how I think about it. Um, he's close to his grandparents. He gets into a good school. Um, there's no commute for me. Um, there's there's a, a nice house with a, with quite a yard for um, my wife. She loves to garden. And, and none of those things were, were really an option okay. uh, when our house, you know, the average house price was like, uh, you know, $800,000, $900,000. And that was a, a pretty small house, <laughs> yeah. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, with no yard. So it's it's... It's been a fantastic change for us for as a family unit, right? I mean, I, I do miss like the coastal drives and stuff like that. Um, the the beauty in Seattle is just uh, amazing, of uh, the Olympic Mountains and the Cascades. Yeah, but Amarillo has a certain kind of beauty to it that I think goes unappreciated, um, especially drive out like towards the floating mesa or you drive out to the canyon. I think that kind of deserty uh, ruggedness has its own kind of uh, merit. Do you work from home or do you work at a co-working space? Right now I work from home. I, there's a there's a co-working space at Innovation Outpost that's being uh constructed. I'm gonna I think I'm gonna get a, a place there. I'm, I'm I've been at home for like two years now, and I think I'm ready to at, at least part-time at a co-working space. I think that's a great idea. Uh I think it'll allow me to uh, meet others mm-hmm. in the technical remote work. And and hopefully like a build a, a technical community here, even if we're not working at the same company, at least you know, we've got similar interests and maybe we can learn new technologies and things together or, or at least just, you know, pick up that social component that's been missing. I'm looking forward to that. Tell me about some of the, the work that you're doing with Innovation Outpost. I, I know that, you know, one of their tracks is, you know, Amazon Web Services related. And, yes. you know, one of the interesting things about that program is, you know, you you, you go through one of those um processes there and and you're not just learning from like an on-site instructor but it's it's virtual learning from somebody who's an expert in the field and it gives somebody like you who's an expert in the field and actually lives here you know the opportunity to mentor people yeah it was uh it was pretty wild um when todd reached out to me he he's the end of the program manager over innovation outpost and a, a recent podcast guest when he reached out to me he didn't know that i was i had moved back to amarillo it didn't matter right i could mentor 
remotely. Okay, so he was reaching out to you thinking you were in Seattle working right. for Zillow. Exactly. He was looking for cloud architects to, to help with his uh, AWS cloud architecture track. And I, I said, wait a minute, you're, you're working with Amarillo College? I'm like, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, I just moved back to Amarillo. <laughs> it seemed very uh, kind of just timely, I guess, and started a relationship with Innovation Outpost and, and Todd uh, and, and learning kind of about their um, their cohorts and their uh, sprints. And I think, oh, and then and then I got to mentor uh, their first uh, AWS Cloud Architecture you know, sprint, which uh, all most of those guys, they, they, they started off with the, uh, with the AWS knowledge they had, which some was was very little or none, and most of them moved on to uh, getting uh, AWS certified, which is kind of the first step in getting that that AWS job and moving into cloud architecture. And then and then uh, the two guys that I mentored also got jobs in the field, so I was really impressed. And seeing that really helped me uh, solidify that I I wanted to increase that mentorship muscle muscle that I have and and share kind of like what I know, but also what, you know, just the support I can offer to help others get there. So I think Innovation Outpost is amazing and that it exists here is, is pretty wild. I like, like I say, when I left in, uh, in the, in the late nineties, uh, Emerald, there wasn't really much of a tech, uh, hub here, but now yeah. I come back and, and cloud architecture is here. Full stack development is here. That's pretty wild. Does that model makes sense to you as, as someone who, you know, studied IT, you know, in college and thought, okay, after two years, I've got everything I need. I'm, I'm exceeding the pace looking at the innovation outpost model where it's a very speedy, you know, yeah. just a few week process. Yeah. And then you leave with a certification. It's very abbreviated. I, I like that a lot. I think for the core knowledge and experience, I think 10 weeks is, uh, is plenty. I think, I think it gives you very immersed in what's going on. I think the main challenge is translating that to kind of your first career. Um, what does that look like? Because it's it's very different um, to to know what all the services are and how everything is put together. It, that's different than than kind of like seeing what companies that are using it have have and their their challenges, right? So they they have all sorts of interesting challenges, like how do we get uh, the people into this environment? How do we get them authenticated? How do we get the applications talking to each other uh, in this environment? How do we fix things that are broken? How do we redeploy things? How, you know, and, and that you can't, you can learn in this, this environment, but um, it's going to take another length of time to, I think, get the entire picture of what's going on. Um, and, th- and that's okay. I think the innovation outpost, I think they'll add, um, more labs and more uh, entry-level experience that will kind of complete a certain um, roundness to that uh, IT thing. And then kind of traditional education spends a lot of time on learning other things than, your, than, your, than, than where you're going to end up working. If you're econ or biology, you've got you've to learn a certain, you know, core, core hours and, and things that may not be super relevant. Mm-hmm. And I think, those are still available to to IT people that um, that had these condensed tracks and and learn something in a very short period of time. But I don't think it has to stop them from moving on to a career, actually uh, starting that journey, making money, and 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 all that sort of thing, and and moving up. I think it can those can exist together. 
you said that you know when you were here in the '90s, um, Amarillo didn't really seem like much of a, a tech hub, um, and and I don't think anybody yeah. thinks that we're going to become the new Silicon Valley or Seattle or anything like that. But do you see do you see that as a a viable part of the future with with innovation outposts, with some of the stuff that's happening at AC, with uh, maybe an influx of remote workers uh, so. coming here? Yeah, I think other Midwest towns have seen that. I think you've seen some some Boise. Uh, so Wichita Falls. I, I don't see why um, it can't happen. There's no there's no reason it can. I think I think there needs to be some some interesting things to attract those kind of younger professionals. And 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 when we're seeing that we see uh, a new baseball stadium, uh, kind of a arcade bar downtown. Um, you see sort of like uh, interesting businesses popping up to support those kind of folks, and and that's great. Uh, lots of food trucks. Um, Lots of things to do on the on the weekends. Lots of hiking and outdoor stuff. I don't see a whole lot of blockers to that. And there's a, a really low cost of entry here to come and live and have have access to all those things. So I think that's pretty great. Speaking of real estate, this week's episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by Wick Realty. John and I recorded this interview in my home studio, where I record pretty much everything related to this podcast. My family and I love our house and our neighborhood, and we're here because Wick Realty helped us sell our previous home and buy this one. Wick is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're buying or selling, if you're building, if you're looking for investment property, contact Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. Hey, Amarillo is also supported by the Discover Amarillo app. Discover Amarillo is a free resource for Amarillo residents who want to keep up with local activities, shopping, businesses, and more. The app's newest feature is a community calendar with all the city's events in one place. You can access this calendar in the upcoming events section of the Discover Amarillo app, which is available now for Android or iPhone. Look for it at discoveramarillotx.com. Okay, I'm back with uh, John Gamble. John, this is part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. Uh, it's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes a recreation of H.D. Bugby's art studio from his ranch near Clarendon. Bugby was the dominant Western artist of the Panhandle Plains, and he spent decades as a museum's art curator. Uh, and, and you can actually go and see how they've painstakingly recreated his ranch studio inside the museum. It's really interesting. Learn more about that at panhandleplains.org. Okay, we've talked a little bit about the future, but when you think of this area 10 years from now, what do you hope for? That's a good question. I, I hope that there's a, a thriving tech community here that has uh, uh, the resources it needs, um, both working space and and uh, support um, from from mentors and from uh, people that have gone through these these new programs uh, that have stayed in Amarillo, it kind of builds a a critical mass. Okay, here I think I think it's got the potential to. the The discussions about technology in Amarillo isn't always about hey let's let's become a tech hub that creates these new tech businesses, but it's often about how can we meet the technology needs of some of the existing businesses. You know, you've got so much architect or agriculture here. Yep. Um, you've got oil and gas here, and all those have these technology sides that sometimes are being met by you know places out of state, and 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 we can bring some of that expertise here. I like that, and I, I also think that 
with a strong enough technical practice, you can you can compete on a on a global scale. If if there's not enough to do from these local businesses, and I have a feeling there is, but if there's not, I I think it could be competitive, both talent wise and price wise, to some of the offerings that are are based in uh, vastly more expensive cities. We're just as connected and and capable to do the work um, as somebody that's in uh, Hong Kong or Seattle or New York City, but we're here in in a place that's, that's vastly more affordable and uh, and has a potential to generate a lot of new talent. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? That's an interesting question. I think it's um, a very like environmentally, the change from Amarillo to Seattle is about as stark as you can get. It really is. Um, it, Seattle winters are actually kind of like today, but uh, very cloudy and and drizzly. Uh, Amarillo has a lot of sun, and that's been a little bit to get used to. And there there were days that were well over 100 degrees this summer. Uh, yeah, I, I I pulled up my own app and, and looked at less sunny places for a minute. But, you know, I realized that those times are temporary. Yeah, I mean, just to reassure you, we've we've had a few of those summers, you know, where it's multiple days in a row above 100. Yeah. Maybe a couple of those in the past decade. We've also had summers where it never reached 100. And so this was just, this was a bad one. And yep. your first summer back here was was one of the worst. <laughs> That's what I remember as a kid is, is it, it barely got above, uh, you know, in the 90s. And then at night, it always cooled down enough that you could go outside and eat. That, that didn't happen this summer, which is interesting. All right. What does this area not have enough of? I think it it's still, um, I, I think it's building. I think I think opportunity is is one of the things of of technology and 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 the the future iterations of work. But I think that's that's on its way. Okay, when you talk to outsiders about Amarillo, say you're you're talking to your your coworkers and they're asking you why did you move to this place? <laughs> what, what do you talk about? Um, I talk about. Uh, how how easy everything is uh, to access and 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 the weather. I think those are the main things that they're they're curious about. And what what do we do? And you know, kind of how life is here. Okay. And uh, yeah. What's your favorite local neighborhood? Oh, uh, I like I like Oliver Eagle. I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. It's behind AC and uh, and Bivens. I think those. Uh, I like older homes. Yeah. Yeah. And both of those areas have a real diversity of architectural styles and they do. house size. Like there's some they're weird all, houses. It's all over the place. Yeah. I like that. I like that eclecticness of it. Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant? Uh, right now I think it's Youngbloods. Yeah. Uh, I like to eat breakfast there. Okay. It's, it's also a very uh, different style of restaurant from what you might've found in Seattle. <laughs> <It> is, <laughs> That's, yeah. that, that feels like a very Texas restaurant. It is. And it's great. That's the appeal. Uh, it is. Uh, I found a, a place like that in in Seattle and would eat there often because it was, you know, very uh, down home and, and everything was, you know, handmade. And You mentioned food trucks earlier. What's your favorite local food truck? Uh, the only one I've tried is Yolo's, actually. But okay. I think I need to get out and try some more food trucks. Yolo's is a good one. Uh, they've also got a, a brick and mortar um, place in now downtown. that's downtown, yep. which is great. But yeah, there there are quite a few really good food trucks. I want to try a barbecue food truck. I think that's next. You've got plenty of options yeah. at this point. Um, okay. Speaking of uh, barbecue and, and meat products, when was the last time you visited the Big Texan? Um, it's been a long time, probably since I was like in the fourth grade. Okay. So not since you've been back then? No. Yeah. 
it's been it's been a long time. It wasn't one of those places where you brought your family back here and you said, "Hey, let's let's go to the most Amarillo place there is." Not yet. Uh, there's been there's been rumblings from the family that we need to go out there. Uh, it's kind of like finding the the right event to go to because mm-hmm. now they have a uh, an outdoor yeah Starlight concert. Ranch yeah, yeah. and I I want to check that out too. It's uh, it's its own thing and uh, definitely worth going to visit there. That's that's awesome. It's it's on the list. Okay. Well, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? Uh, I think I think everybody should try out Blue Crane Bakery. Um, it's on 6th Street. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, I'm, I'm kind of low carb and they, they make some really good low carb and gluten free and vegan baked items. It's, it's pretty good. Uh, and then they have a really cool mural on the, uh, on the yeah. side of their building. And murals are kind of a uh, an interesting thing in Amarillo. I have, I haven't been to a place that has so many. It's, it's really nice to see that kind of artistic side of Amarillo coming out. I like that a lot. Well, you, you arrived at the right time. Had you come two or three years earlier, you wouldn't have seen them. And so it's a, it's a recent development and a, a positive one. Yeah. I like those a lot. All right. Well, John Gamble, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks Jason. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to John for the interview and to Angelina Marie for editing this episode. And you know what? If, if you like this show, if you listen to it, would you please consider rating and reviewing it wherever you listen to podcasts? It's a pretty easy step. I've done it for podcasts I enjoy, and it helps other people find the show. I also want to say thanks to sponsors Wick Realty, the Discover Amarillo app, Texas Tech Physicians Pediatrics, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the show. Hey, Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it. Uh, so I'm, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful that you listen. I'm grateful to have this support. You can support it financially yourself if you're interested through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey, Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Corey Burns, Katie Linger, Jess Heredia, Josh Wood, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, Patrick Burns, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 273. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.